All right, let's study God's Word. We're in Hebrews 10 this morning, so let's take our Bibles and turn there. I want to be pretty brief this morning um, and have us just focus on a few powerful truths that I believe will strengthen us and hopefully give us an assignment. It is um, interesting when you go to Iowa for a week and you essentially don't have any internet or phone service. I don't think that's true of the whole state of Iowa, but it's true where we were. And I've pretty much been on a news blackout for the last week. And as we got in the car yesterday to come home, uh, I bought Friday's newspaper as we were heading out of Lansing and and just kind of glanced at it as we were going. But I noticed how the articles were written with the assumption that the reader knew what was going on. Never thought about that with newspapers before. But the articles were written assuming that you knew what had happened the day before and the day before. But... I hadn't because I had been in Iowa for a week. So I um, started to read. I had, I had heard about Robin Williams earlier in the week. Um, so we had gotten a little bit of word about that. But I hadn't heard anything uh, about ISIS. I hadn't heard anything about the blockade in Ukraine, even though we got to um, minister with and to a, a girl from the Ukraine. Hadn't heard about presidents or, or senators or, or governors being sued. Uh, I didn't know about the shooting in Mississippi. Uh, I didn't know about the fears that um, there would be around the country people potentially acting out uh, this new movie. I don't know if you've heard about it where nothing is illegal for 12 hours. And there were uh, a lot of rumors that there were going to be all kinds of, of people and groups that would act that out this weekend um, at concerts and airports and things like that. There's, there's something to be said for a total news blackout, right? Maybe Iowa's not so bad. And I kind of thought how much I, I hadn't heard in the last week, and it was, it was a little discouraging just to be reminded how messed up things are, especially after you spent a week uh, with God's family and you've been studying God's Word and looking at His creation and having conversations about the Lord. Uh, when you've been in that environment, it energizes you and it encourages you and strengthens you. And then you get back out into reality. Um, not that that's not reality, but you, you see what's actually going on in the world. And you say, well, that's not what we get when we're the body. There was joy and there was encouragement and there was contentment and peace and a lack of stress and a lack of conflict. In other words, everything that the world doesn't offer, we experienced. Heaven's going to be a great place, isn't it? And we'll get to be in the presence of the Lord and we'll know nothing but joy and peace and grace and fellowship together. Now, that contrast between the two uh, is really embodied in our text of the morning here in Hebrews chapter 10. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture because it instills such confidence in us as believers. If you want a passage that will encourage you, this is it. Because it just reminds us of how wonderful God's mercy and God's provision is. I was thinking last night um, about the old hymn by Charles Gabriel. I don't know if you, uh, how, many, how many know the song uh, that says in the chorus, Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. You remember that song? I, can we sing that? Do you mind? I know we've sung a lot and you've had to listen to my voice. But I, I want to sing that chorus. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We can do that sitting down, right? You're going to join me. You're not going to make me sing a solo, right? Okay, let's sing it together. 
Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. It's a great song. And I was thinking last night, the Lord's love and His mercy and His grace is so wonderful in our lives, and He provides for us every day. We're never lacking with the Lord, are we? There's never a time where you say, well, God didn't come through. God didn't provide. Waking up this morning, God provided. Being able to get dressed and come to church, God provided. Having food to eat on the way, God provided. Starbucks didn't provide that. God provided that. Knowing His grace, knowing His mercy, getting to be in the house of the Lord, getting to worship, getting to sing praise. God provided all of that for us. And His love and sufficiency is so wonderful. And that's what chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews is all about, that Christ's sacrifice is enough, that it is sufficient. It's paid for every one of our sins. And for the first 18 verses of this chapter... That's what the writer talks about, the sufficiency of God and the provision of God. So by the time we get to verse 19, we read all about the fact that we can confidently enter into the, into the holy place like we talked about earlier by the high priest who is Jesus. And for the Jews that were reading this, because this book was written to the Jews, for the Jews who were reading this, that was unthinkable for thousands of years. For thousands of years, all they had known that as on the Day of Atonement, once a year, that the high priest would go through a cleansing process that took close to a week. He would walk in with a sacrifice that was going to make atonement. It was going to make payment for all the sins of the people. And he would go in and he'd go behind the curtain into the holy place where only one person could go one time a year. And he would enter into the manifest presence of God and he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and that would be a payment, an atonement for sin of the people. Now God says, you don't have a high priest anymore that serves and goes behind the curtain because I've opened up the curtain. And Jesus is the high priest and you don't need another one. He's the one and only one you need. He's the final high priest. And rather than bringing blood from, a, from an animal, he was the blood himself. He shed his own blood, and he's the one who satisfied my, my holiness through himself. And because he's done that, now he's opened up the veil, he's pulled back the curtain, and there is now a new and living way that is available to us of God's mercy. And he says here in verses 19 to 22, that means, and we've quoted this verse many times, that we can now draw near to the Lord, needing a clean and sincere heart, because God's holy, we sang that, and he's not going not gonna to abide a fraud or a hypocrite. He says you need a clean and sincere heart, but you can come, look at the words, they're wonderful, in verse 22, you can come and I can come with a full assurance, say those words with me, Loudly, full assurance, say it again, full assurance, that's how we approach the Lord, with a full assurance that our salvation by faith has given us access. 
Now that was a new concept to the Jews. Many of them fought it because they felt like they were being disrespectful to the law. They felt like that they were, they were dishonoring the law if they trusted that Jesus alone had fulfilled the law of Moses. But that's what Jesus said he did. He said, I defeated the law, excuse me, I fulfilled the law of Moses. I have defeated the power and penalty of sin to anybody that trusts me, which means that the veil is open to the high holy place of God, the place of his grace and mercy, and that Anyone who trusts in Christ, listen now, can go directly to him and ask for mercy and have fellowship with him. Anyone who trusts in Christ can do that. And that is an awesome, unimaginable privilege that God has provided to us. We can go to his throne of grace. We can get mercy. We can experience his presence. And he says, don't come kind of shyly now because I've redeemed you. You're my child. Come to me boldly. And this is fully realized. Look at the text. This is fully realized through prayer, which is, again, why prayer is so important for us individually and as a body. We need to push again and again. We've got to seek the Lord. We've got to ask the Lord. Listen now, we've got to ask the Lord how we can have a weekly prayer meeting. We've got to figure out the logistics of this because this is important. God wants us to continually abide in his presence. And I felt more burdened about that in the last month. And we've got to figure out a way to do it. Because God wants us to come together and call on his name. Now, that leads into the three verses we're going to study this morning. These four verses, verses 19 to 22, kind of set the, set the foundation for what we're going to study. And we want to start in verse 23. Based on the fact that God has provided, based on the fact that Christ is sufficient, based on the fact that we have a new and living way through the veil into the presence of God, we can come in full assurance of faith. Now he says this in verse 23. Because of all that, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to uh, stimulate each other to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the writer, who we don't know who it is, I believe it's Paul, but many people debate who it might have been, but, but let's just say the writer of the text, which ultimately, who wrote the Bible? Holy Spirit, right? So we can debate, well, did Paul write it or Peter write it, somebody else write it? Listen, the Holy Spirit wrote it. So the Holy Spirit here writes, and he establishes this great truth about our confidence to enter into the Lord's presence through faith and prayer. And then in chapter 10, verse 23, he kind of changes gears, and he talks about how this truth not only affects how we pray, but how we relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there are three primary directives here. Take some notes this morning because it's muggy and warm and you need to, to really interact here with the text. So let's write a couple things down. There are three directives here that are very simple. They read more like suggestions. When you, when you look at the, the English, which is always inferior to the original language, when you look at the English, it looks like these are kind of suggestions. But actually, these are urgent commands. These are urgent commands for us to execute right away. You see that he begins by saying, let us, let us. It's in verse 22, 23, and 24. But, but don't, 
Don't be fooled by how passive that sounds like. Let us go to lunch or let us meet after the service or let us go grab our kids. Almost like there's some, some options here. Maybe we'll do it later. Maybe we'll do it. No, that's, that's not what the text conveys. This is not passive. This is an urgent request. This is an urgent statement to us as believers. Look at the first one. Draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All that, because of that, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. That's not a suggestion. That's a calling. It's a requirement and it's an encouragement that in light of how we've been spiritually transformed by Christ and that we can continually and confidently abide in his presence, that we know his sufficiency based on all of that, now we must hold fast to our convictions without wavering in our faith or in our loyalty. And just as a reminder, he adds, he who promised... He who promised to redeem us and be near us and help us is faithful to keep those promises. Now, verse 23 kind of serves as a, as a little bridge here between the confidence in verse 22 about how God's opened up the veil and we go and have access and the instruction in verse 24, which we're going to look at in just a minute. Verse 23 is a bridge. It reminds us that we need to be strong in our faith and our confession, and our hope, so that we can minister to other believers. Remember, faith is not just for us. It's not just so I feel strong and confident, and I can get through my week, and God will minister to me and provide for me and help me, and, and Paul, it's great. You know, I'm excited. The Lord's going to help me this week. That's, that's wonderful. That's necessary. But it has a purpose. It's not just so that we would feel good about ourselves. It's so that we can minister to each other. And that's the instructions in verses 24 and 25. These three things that we're told, we're going to read them again and then we'll apply them to our lives. First of all, he says, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Okay, that's number one. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Number two, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And number three, Encourage one another, and even more as you see the day drawing near. Let's start with the first one and take a couple minutes on each. We're just going to walk through the text. This is, this is how you study the Bible. You just walk through the text, and you understand what each verse says. So when the writer says, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, the main point he's making is that it is your responsibility and my responsibility, it is your privilege and my privilege to focus ourselves on how to have passion to stir each other up to love the Lord more. Now, the word consider there, which is not one of my favorite words, it's, it's kind of passive. We'll consider this or kind of think through this or maybe, maybe put it on the list and you can look at it later. The, the word here actually in the original language is not passive at all. It means to, be, to perceive and to fix your eyes and mind on. So the Spirit's not just saying, hey, you know what, when you get some time, sometime Tuesday or Wednesday, just kind of think about what you can do to kind of help some people out and encourage them. No, he's saying laser-like focus. Focus. Set your mind on it. Set your eyes on it. 
get everything in the front core of your brain. What are we going to do? Notice what he says. How we can stimulate, the word means to incite or to stir up. How we can stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, you and I are supposed to get each other riled up. Now, not in the way that we sometimes see in churches, right? Not in the way we sometimes see in families where people are critical and divisive. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. That's, that's not how we're supposed to rile each other up. When you, when you come to church, you're not looking for who can I mess with today? Who, who can I create a crisis for today? Who can I irritate today? You ever gone to church and you feel like somebody woke up in the morning and as they're brushing their teeth, they thought, I'm going after Rhodes today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to irritate the stew out of that guy. Anybody ever felt that? You don't have to raise your hands. That's not, did Christ die for that? That's not what God's calling us to do. He says when you get together with the body, you're supposed to get each other charged up. And what you're supposed to get each other charged up is how are you going to love the Lord more today? How are you going to be more passionate about Jesus Christ today? What can I do to strengthen you? I don't know about you, but I need more people in my life like that that are going to stir me up and say, Paul, you need to love the Lord more. You need to be more passionate about Christ. Think about how powerful that will be when that's our focus for each other. That today, as you and I walk around, as we visit each other after the service, that, that we would have the goal of making people more excited about Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get here, and we look about as excited as somebody going to the DMV. I stand there like, a blank look on our face, we're not engaged, we're not talking to anybody, we're just kind of here, and, and there's no expectation of meeting the Lord, and, and there's, no, there's no sense of His presence, and, and there's no desire. We're, we're here, we're in the house of the Lord, we're in His presence, but, but nothing's going on. You say, well, it's not my personality, or, or it's not my tradition. I'm sorry, there's nothing about personality or tradition in the Bible. If you're a child of God, you should be excited about it. If God's redeemed you from sin, you should be going, praise the Lord, I am so excited. And you know what? It's uncomfortable for me, but I'm still going to praise the Lord. You think this is comfortable when, when I lead singing? I mean, really? I'm so glad those ladies were up here. Can you give them a word of applause for them? They, they helped us. It's not comfortable up here moving my arms around and trying to hit the note. But you know what? I love the Lord, and I want you to love the Lord. And at that point, I don't really care how I look because the point is, let's come together and praise God. And that's what the church is supposed to do. Your job and my job today is to get each other to love Christ more. What are we doing to do that? Praying for people, encouraging people, giving people a hug. How you doing? And not just how you doing, good to see you. Yeah, okay, see you later. But how you doing? What's going on? Anything I can pray for you? What was the last time you said to somebody, what can I pray for you for this week? How can I pray for you? What, can, would you let me know something? And you know what? I'm going to commit to you. Every day this week, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to send you an email of encouragement. And I just, I'm going to check in. Wednesday, I'm going to call you. Just see how you're doing. Is there anything I can pray for you for this week? Imagine if every one of us asked each other that. And then we carried it through. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Are people seeing that in us? I'm not talking about being fake. 
I'm not talking about, yeah, the joy of the Lord. I'm just in, in crisis right now, but the joy of the Lord, and I don't really like you, but the joy of the Lord. You know, that's, that's not authentic, right? I'm not talking about fake Christianity. I'm talking about authentic spirituality, authentic passion for the Lord that comes from knowing and abiding in Him. Do people know, listen now, do people know that they're going to be encouraged when they see you? Are you bringing that to the table? Do they know that they're going to sense more of God because they've been in your presence? That's our charge from the Holy Spirit. So according to Hebrews 10, look back at the verse. According to Hebrews 10, I need to make it my focus and my passion to stir up every one of you to love the Lord and each other more and to act like Christ, and you're to do the same for me. And if the church did this, if Harbor Rock Tabernacle did this, it would be a powerful witness to the world that right now is only seeing hate and death. You read the newspapers. The only thing the world is seeing is hate and death. It's not seeing hope. It's not seeing confidence. It's not seeing joy. There's nothing happy about it. And yet, they think we're the problem. Let me brag on our church just for a second because um, we won't let it go to our head, right? Because pride goes before a fall. But I was so encouraged at camp this week that time after time, counselors, staff would come up to our people and say, you guys are such a nice church. You really like each other. Makes me wonder what other people have been saying when they come through. But time and again, they'd say, boy, you... You guys, you guys get along. There's no drama here. Even the guy who led worship for us said, I really love your church. Now, he's never been in this building. But he saw our people, and the people are the church. And what he saw, praise the Lord, because he gets credit. He saw us stimulating each other to love and good works. And that needs to be a constant distinction of this church. Look at the second sentence, verse 25. He says, don't forsake or neglect meeting together. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's been hard this summer with so many people gone. There have been weeks, and I think this is another one of them, where we'll have, I counted a couple Sundays, we had between 16 and 20 families gone. That's a lot for us. So it's been hard, not only in terms of volunteers and not only in terms of finances, both of which we need in a big way, but, but it's been hard in terms of the body as a whole. When we get together, there's a power and there's a strength. And I've missed being around you. I went away for a week and a half. Then I was gone for another week at camp. Some of you I haven't seen in five or six weeks. I've missed being with you. Because there's a joy that comes from being together as a body. And, and when the family's not together, something's not right. I'm feeling that this morning. My son is in Pittsburgh. My daughter's in Iowa. I mean, we're, we're spread out. I'm not used to this. How do you guys do this? I don't want them to go to college. My daughter comes up to me on a camp. Can I stay another week? We kind of looked at each other and said, okay. Jacob flew to Pittsburgh on Friday from camp to go be with my dad at the Franklin Grand Crusade. My kids are spread out this morning. I don't have the family together, and it feels weird. When the family's not together, it, it should feel awkward for us. 
Now, we have had vacations. That's wonderful. We, we try to get away because we're, we're thinking, I better enjoy it while it's warm because the cold's coming. Amen? Well, actually, not amen. We, we don't want so be it on that one. Leave the winter up in Canada or somewhere. So we've got to get away. We've got family to see. We've got friends to see. We want to do whatever we do. But listen, look at the verse. He says, make sure you're not neglecting your time with the body. Because some people make a habit of that, and it's not healthy. Why is it important? We'll go back to verse 24, the reason we just talked about. Because we need each other to stir each other up and, and, and build each other up. None of us is strong enough to fly solo. None of us is strong enough to do it on our own. We need each other. That's why there's a strength in this room this morning. That's why family camp is such a great experience because we're together as a body and that daily connection with the family of God that you know when you get up that when you go down to breakfast, you're going to be with 80 other believers. And when you go out and ride horses, you're going to be with other believers. And when you kayak, you're with other believers going, look at God's creation. And then you get together and you worship together. That's Acts 2. They met daily. So let me give you an exhortation. This fall, which is like next week, right? School starting? Depressing. I haven't school shopped yet. This fall, the schedules are about to get very busy again. And work's going to ramp up, and school's going to start, and there are going to be sports, and there's going to be ministry. But let me issue a very strong encouragement and exhortation to us this morning. Do not forsake assembling together. Make it a priority. Don't allow other non-eternal things to take a greater precedent than being with the family of God. Now, for some of you, you're a little frustrated with me right now because it stings a little bit. And you may even be saying, well, you don't know the schedule that we have. Listen, I know a busy schedule. But we can't allow our schedule to take priority over being with the family of God because he said you can get into that habit and it's not healthy. Because you've got to consider how you're going to spur each other on to love and good works. And then he says the last sentence, and we're done. Verse 25. The last statement is encourage one another. My other challenge to you this morning is that we make this verse a distinctive of this church. That by nature, by design, we encourage each other. I love going down to Chicago Tabernacle, which is like a sister church to us down in Chicago, and being around their people, because every time I go down there, I walk away completely and utterly encouraged. Their people are so genuine and so spirit-filled, and they serve with joy, and there's a community there that even if I've missed for months, and in some cases years, as soon as I walk in, they remember you, and they're excited to see you. But what really impresses my heart is that when they talk to you, it is always about the Lord. It is always honoring to the Lord, and it is always encouraging. And I'm not using hyperbole. Always praise to the Lord. Oh, the Lord's so good. Look at what the Lord's doing. We're so blessed that you're here. We're so encouraged. How can we pray for you over and over again? Now, what I love about this church is we have a lot of those traits, and that encourages me so much, and it needs to really get into our, our DNA as a church, that when anybody 
walks into this church, listen now, this is, this is our challenge, that when anybody walks into this church, that three things are true in the first three minutes. One is that the person knows that they're in the presence of the Lord, that they sense it. How does that come about? That comes about through prayer. That comes about through abiding in the presence of the Lord. That when people walk through those doors, even as they're walking up to the doors, they just sense it. The Lord's in this place. The second thing would be that they meet people that love the Lord and honor the Lord and represent the Lord. And the third thing, after they've sensed the presence of God and they've met people that genuinely love the Lord, that in their time in this place, that they would be encouraged spiritually. Someone on the trip asked me, what's your vision for the church over the next few years? And last night I said to myself, that's what it is. That's what it is. Not charts and plans, and we're going to do this program and that program. and that. We, we will do that. That will happen. But listen, if there was something that I wanted to be true of our church over the next year, it's what I just said, that people would be in the presence of the Lord when they come here. They would meet people that love and honor the Lord, and they would be so encouraged spiritually. God's presence would be obvious that our love for the Lord would be obvious, that it exudes from our pores, that you can't even stop it, that, that you just are, are almost uncomfortable because we love the Lord so much. And by extension, this would be a place where you'd be strengthened. But here's what will kill that. The two things that will kill that are carnal lives and critical spirits. And those two go hand in hand. Carnal lives and critical spirits. As we studied at camp, we have to be true disciples of Christ. No compromise, no cowardice, no hypocrisy, no love for the world. We have to fight against selfishness. We have to fight against damaging and disparaging each other because a critical spirit doesn't bring fresh air to the body. If we closed up the windows and turned off all the fans and sat here for a while, what would happen? We'd go, it's stuffy in here. There, there's, there's no freshness to it. I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I wish somebody would turn on a fan. A critical spirit does that. It, it, it heats up the room. The spirit of God is pictured like wind. He wants to move like this fan up here, like fresh air through our body. And when we encourage and strengthen each other and we speak words of life to each other, that's what happens. So you say, well, why would we ever become critical? Well, it all stems from pride. And pride has tentacles. It manifests itself in anger and jealousy and undermining and needing attention and anything else that elevates self. And that criticism that we're using to get people to think that we're great, it causes hurt and division. But more than anything, it takes the focus off of Jesus Christ. But look back at the verse one more time, and I'm going to pray. According to verse 24, our job as believers, whether we're speaking to a Christian or a non-Christian, is to remind them of Christ and point them to Christ and to show them evidence of Christ and to speak evidence of the love of Christ. And we can't do that if we're not building each other up in the faith, if we're not spurring each other on to love and good works. So our job 
is to spur each other, strengthen each other, encourage each other, pray for each other, build each other up, and, and get each other passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do we do that? Why is that so important? Look at the last thought at the end of verse 25. The Spirit of God says we need to do this even more because the day of the Lord is drawing near. Just looking briefly, three minutes at the news, we know that's true. How much longer can Jesus delay? How much longer can it be until Jesus appears? The day of the Lord is upon us, and we need to fix our minds on how we can stir each other up spiritually. And the Lord, the text says, is faithful to keep his promise. If we're saved, we're secured. Now we're called to draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith and to hold fast our confession without wavering. And as we do that, we will strengthen each other. That's our assignment. That's what God called us to this week. And every week until he returns. Let's ask him to help us. Lord, we thank you and praise you. And we love you this morning that you have provided such an amazing and wonderful gift to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the assignment that you've given us to spur each other on to love and good works, to strengthen each other and build each other because, Lord, we're looking at the return of Christ. It can't be long, Father. And for our hearts to be prepared for that and for us to be reaching people for Christ, they're going to have to see this in us. They're going to have to see us spurring each other on to love and good works, encouraging one another, strengthening each other. Lord, that there would be no bitterness, no division, no criticism in this body, but that we would love to be in each other's presence as we're in your presence. We pray for your help in this, Lord. We pray that you would convict us and stir us to spend more time in your presence calling on your name. Lord, that you would help us logistically to figure out the opportunity to do that each week as a body, that we would come together and call on your name and praise you because that's so important. You said your house needs to be a house of prayer. So Lord, show us how we can do that. And as we serve you, Lord, we pray you would get all the glory and all the praise because you alone deserve it. Lord, help me in this. Help my brothers and sisters that are here. Help my brothers and sisters that are not here today. That this would be a hallmark of who we are as a body. We praise you and exalt you and we thank you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Everybody, let's stand together. We're going to go back to that chorus by Charles Gabriel. Oh, I love this song. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. If you didn't have the love of Jesus Christ this morning, where would you be? Sitting on a couch, eating Cheetos, watching depressing news, having no hope. Maybe not Cheetos. Maybe a bagel. Right? Right? Without the hope of Christ, without the love of Christ, where would you be? We take it so for granted because we've known it for so long. 
Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song will ever be, oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. Is my Savior's love for me. When we get to that line, is my Savior's love for me, let's, let's, let's really emphasize those three words. My Savior's love, okay? Is my Savior's love for me. Because that's what it's all about this morning. It's about the love of our Savior. Let's sing it together, okay? Now, l- listen. No timidity here. God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Amen? He gave us a spirit of joy and peace and confidence and hope. So let's sing this with our voices. I don't care if your voice isn't great. My voice is tired. But let's sing praise to the Lord right now. This will be the end of our service, and then a couple minutes we'll have our meeting. Ready? Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be oh how marvelous oh how wonderful is my savior's love for me